0: Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Kalamazoo, Michigan campus. For more info on the church, visit newdaycommunity.org. Hello, I'm Pastor Anthony. It is nice to be here every now and then. Normally, I'm over at the Vine campus every Saturday night. Actually, we do church at 7. So if you'd like to visit us over there, that's certainly cool and you're welcome. Welcome. But today, you may have noticed, on the time change day, of course, they said, "Get up early and come here on Sunday." So I am a faithful servant of the Lord. So I came, and uh, I get to talk about some of my favorite stuff this morning—obscure Old Testament stories. Somebody say, "Woohoo!" Yeah. All right, it is going to be good. Does anybody remember Jehu? That was still one of my, yeah, still one of my favorites. Okay, this is in this in the same vein, okay, but it's totally different. All right. First, this is called Lessons from Gibeon. Who or what is a Gibeon? So Gibeon was a people group that the nation of Israel encountered when they crossed the Jordan River and they were going to take the Promised Land. Okay? So there are people that they encounter way, way back when in the Old Testament. So in order to talk about this story, it's only fair if I give an intro to the intro. I need to set the scene of what I'm going to be talking about. So, we have to go all the way back to Genesis to kind of set the stage for this sermon this morning. Hang with me. I promise I'm going to come around to actually preaching the message. So, in Genesis chapter 15, God shows up to a guy we may have heard about recently named Abraham. And he says, Abraham, I'm going to make a people, a nation, just for me. And I'm going to use you to do it. And Abraham says, Awesome but I'm old and we can't have kids. And God says, I'm God and stuff, don't worry about it. Stick with me, we're going to go far. So Abraham goes like 25 years after the promise and still doesn't have any kids. He's a human, he starts to doubt. He notices the gray hair is increasing and the brown hair is going away. His wife isn't getting any younger, maybe the hips start to hurt. And he's like, God, I, I'm sorry to ask, but maybe I could get a little reassurance here that you're actually going to do this thing you promised. So God says, okay, Get some animals and cut them up. That's odd, but it wouldn't have been odd back then. Abraham understands that when God says, get some animals and cut them in half and separate them, that they're preparing to make a covenant. Back in the day, if two people wanted to make a very serious promise to kind of show the gravity of what they were doing, they would take animals, they would cut them in half, They would hold hands, and they would recite the promise as they were walking between the remains of the animals. And they could look down and see how serious this promise was that they were making. And you knew, you better not break it. Okay? So Abraham does that. He separates the animals. He's preparing to go through this covenant-making ceremony with God. And God does what God does, and he doesn't show up when you think he's going to. He keeps Abraham waiting all day, in fact, And then Abraham falls asleep. And when Abraham wakes up, he sees something that is amazing. He sees God himself walking between the animals by himself, reciting the promise that God intends to keep by himself. Abraham is not necessary to make this covenant because this is not a two-party agreement. God is saying, I'm going to do something And I, God himself, am swearing to you, Abraham, that this is what's going to happen. That's pretty amazing. Here is part of what God says. "'Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions in the fourth generation.' Your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. God is making the promise. The land he's walking on is the promised land. Abraham is in the place that God said he would give him. Now God gives him some kind of bummer news. He says, Your descendants, actually, you're going to have some, trust me, eventually you will have kids, Abraham. And I'm saying that for 400 years, they're going to be in a foreign land where they're going to be mistreated as slaves. But then they're going to come back. And this little hiatus, Abraham, is necessary because I intend to completely dispossess all the people that are here. And they're bad now. But I have to wait. God's justice is just. What they are now does not warrant wiping them out and driving them away. But God knows what's going to happen and he says in 400 years... Their sinfulness, their wickedness, their grossness is going to be full. It can't get any worse. And when that happens, then I'll give you the land. Does that make sense? Fast forward to Moses, another guy that hopefully some of us have heard about. And Moses leads the people out of Egypt, where they were for about 400 years. Crazy how God knows what's going to happen. And God is about to lead them across the Jordan River and give them the land that he promised... And he gives them some warnings. In Leviticus chapter 18, God says, tell the people this, you better not act like the people acted in Egypt, the place I just brought you from. And I don't want to see you acting like all the people in this land I'm going to give you act. And here's how they act. For like 20 verses, God lists a bunch of deplorable stuff that turns his stomach. Most, if not all of it, is sexual stuff. Okay? It's all bad. And God says, This is how they do. Don't do that. And then God tells them why. Do not defile yourselves in any of these ways because this is how the nations that I'm going to drive out before you became defiled. Even the land was defiled. So I punished it for its sin and the land vomited out its inhabitants. Gross. And if you defile the land, how many know that God does not have a double standard? If you defile the land, it will vomit you out as it vomited out the nations that were before you. This is the scene. The sinfulness of these people is at its peak. They are as bad as they can get. It's full. And God is saying, because of these specific things and other things, but this specific list, I'm going to drive them out. But you better be careful because if you mess up in these same ways, I'm going to drive you out too. This is setting the stage for a one-time non-repeatable in Scripture, so far as I can tell, where God is using his people as an extension of his wrath and his judgment. This is not routine. This is not normal. But this is happening in this instance. And God is saying, don't think you're above this. This very thing that you're going to do that will be horrible, that will be difficult, that will turn your stomach, you remember how harsh and how unpalatable it is. Because if you do the same thing, I'm going to do this to you. And a few hundred years later, he actually has to use the nations of Assyria and Babylon to punish his own people in much the same way. That's the scene. Was that heavy? Can we lighten it up with a little of humor here in a minute? Okay. So this sets the stage for them to encounter the mysterious Gibeonites. It's funny because they're Gibbons. I'm sorry. Okay. (coughs) Gibeon. Gibeonites. All right. The humor serves a purpose. The humor serves a purpose because this is a great time to tell you something that if you know it, it's a a no-brainer. But if you don't know, you may not know what you don't know. And that is what it means. If you put it at the end of a word in the Old Testament, it just means descendant of. So Israelites were the descendants of a guy named Israel. And you could stack ites. You could be a multiple ite at once. So Israel had a descendant named Benjamin, right? So Benjamin is an Israelite. But Benjamin was a big deal patriarch too. And he had descendants called Benjamites. So Benjamites were also Israelites. So we're stacking-ites, right? Okay. So this is important because in the story I'm about to read, the Gibeonites are also called Hivites. Gibeonites are just a subset of Hivites. But if you didn't know, you wouldn't know. So now you know. Alright, you're welcome. Moving on. Before I talk about lessons from Gibeon, I, I, I want to say, that was the intro to the intro. We're about to get to the intro to the two <laughs> messages I had to preach. I have to say that I grew up in a Baptist tradition. Okay? So, they taught me a lot of good stuff. Uh, in fact, the guy who walked me back to relationship with Jesus when I was really just a, a punk, kind of a pathetic punk, really. His name was Pastor Daryl Gabbard. He was like this tall, but every bit of him was full of the Holy Spirit, even though he didn't believe in that kind of thing. God bless him, it was true. And you know what? The little Baptist that still lives inside me is named Daryl in his honor. So there's a a tiny suit wearing Baptist in Anthony's heart, even though I'm charismatic now, and he doesn't get to come out that often, but this morning he is. And in the Baptist tradition... They slash we like to do things like preach on Jesus and salvation and repentance, right? And we like to do things like, say, every head bowed and every eye closed, right? And we like to do things as well like preaching way over the allotted time. (laughs) So, we're doing all of that this morning. I only apologize to the children's workers, but Daryl is going to come out and play today. All right, here's the intro. We're going to read all of Joshua 9. Deep breaths so I don't pass out. All right. Now, when all the kings west of the Jordan heard about these things, that would be the Israelites absolutely smashing Jericho in the city of Ai, the kings in the hill country in the western foothills and along the entire coast of the Mediterranean Sea as far as Lebanon, the kings of the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, multiple kings of all of those, by the way, they came together to wage war against Joshua and Israel. I'm going to stop here and just say something kind of cool. Did you know that Joshua is the translation of the Hebrew word Yeshua? Did you also know that a Greeky translation of the same name would be Jesus? It's the same Hebrew name. Interesting, that might matter later. Might it not? It might indeed. <laughs> However... When the people of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they resorted to a ruse. They went as a delegation whose donkeys were loaded with worn-out sacks and old wineskins, cracked and mended. They put worn and patched sandals on their feet, and they wore old clothes. All the bread of their food supply was dry and moldy, which was an especially nice touch. When they went to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal and said to him and the Israelites, we have come from a distant country. Make a treaty with us. Oh, those sneaky Gibeonites. Those bootlicking cowards coming to embarrass themselves. The Israelites said to the Hivites, But perhaps you live near us, so how can we make a treaty with you? We are your servants, they said to Joshua. <laughs> I love that avoidance. But Joshua asked, Who are you and where do you come from? Stop playing games. Level with me. What's going on? They answered, your servants have come from a very distant country because of the fame of the Lord your God. For we have heard reports of him, all that he did in Egypt and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, Sihon, king of Heshbon, and Og, king of Bashan, who reigned in Astra. What they're doing here is they're saying, we heard about this stuff that happened a while ago. They're pretending to be ignorant of recent events, Jericho and Ai, because they're from so far away, don't you know? Word travels slow. They couldn't have heard about that yet, but they know about this stuff that happened earlier. They're sneaky. They're sneaky, those Gibeonites. (laughs) And our elders and all those living in our country said to us, take provision for your journey. Go and meet them and say to them, this is like the third or fourth time, we are your servants. Make a treaty with us. This bread of ours was warm when we packed it at home on the day we left to come to you. But now see how dry and moldy it is. And these wineskins that we filled were new, but see how cracked they are. And our clothes and our sandals are worn out by the very long journey. The Israelites sampled their provisions, yep, sure looks like mold, but did not inquire of the Lord. Then Joshua made a treaty of peace with them to let them live, and the leaders of the assembly ratified it by oath. So these people so far have put on this ruse to go and fall at the feet of Yeshua, the leader of God's people, and say, please make a treaty of peace with us. Yeshua, please make a treaty of peace with us. And he's like, how do I know you don't live right by us? And I'm like, no, 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 no. We live far away. Just please, we, we just need a treaty. So they make a treaty with them by the Lord their God. That's very important. Three days after they made the treaty with the Gibeonites, the Israelites pop over the next hill the Israelites heard that there were neighbors living near them. So the Israelites set out and on the third day came to their cities, Gibeon, Kephira, Beroth, and Kiria, Jerim. But the Israelites did not attack them because the leaders of the assembly had sworn an oath to them by the Lord, the God of Israel. They didn't just pinky promise. They made a promise according to the name and the character and the reputation of their God. Yahweh's character and reputation are on the line. It's all wrapped up in this oath. This wasn't just a promise. This wasn't a treaty like we make today where it's just written on paper and oh yeah, sure, we swear. The character and the reputation and the name of Yahweh is wrapped up in this treaty. This is a big deal because that will have a lot to do with whether or not they value the treaty. The whole assembly grumbled against the leaders but all the leaders answered, we've given them our oath by the Lord, the God of Israel. We cannot touch them now. This is what we'll do to them. We'll let them live so that God's wrath will not fall on us for breaking the oath we swore to them. They understand that Yahweh would never go back on a treaty, that when Yahweh gives peace, he means it. 21, they continued, let them live, but let them be woodcutters and water carriers in the service of the whole assembly so the leader's promise to them was kept. Then Joshua, probably very angry, summoned the Gibeonites and said, Why did you deceive us by saying, We live a long way from you, while you actually live near us? You are now under a curse. You will never be released from service as woodcutters and water carriers for the house of my God. Pause. There's a beautiful sermon here, by the way, that I don't get to preach because we're in a grace series. But maybe one day, if we ever have a one-off, I want to preach the sermon that starts right here but our two key verses for this message are Joshua 9, 24, and 25, which we'll keep coming back to, which are here. This is why the Gibeonites did what they did. They answered, Your servants were clearly told how the Lord your God had commanded his servant Moses to give you the whole land and to wipe out all its inhabitants from before you. So we feared for our lives because of you, and that is why we did this. We are now in your hands do to us whatever seems good and right to you. Israelites pop over the hill. There's the Gibeonites. They don't attack, and the Gibeonites don't attack them. The Gibeonites come out and essentially say, well, hey, here we are. If you're going to kill us, kill us. If you're going to spare us, spare us. We're your servants. We're in your hands. But they swore an oath by the Lord, the God of Israel, Yahweh. These people are going to be fine. Yahweh would never destroy people who made a covenant of peace with him. So Joshua saved them from the Israelites, and they did not kill them. That day he made the Gibeonites woodcutters and water carriers for the assembly to provide for the needs of the altar of the Lord at the place the Lord would choose, and that is what they are to this day. Joshua 9. That was a lot of Bible, but I told you, Daryl the Baptist is coming out, and there is more Bible to come. Are you guys ready to get into the first of two messages I'm about to preach, each with their own clothes? Awesome. Let's not waste time. Here we go. Point one, it's not too late for grace. It is not too late. It doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, what you've had done to you, or where you are in life. Today is a good day to get grace. It's not too late. The Gibeonites show us this in at least three ways. One, we know from God himself that his appraisal of these people is that their iniquity, their sinfulness, their yuckiness, their wickedness is full. Can't get any fuller. They're bad. Read Leviticus 18. We have every reason to think that the type of people that would do that stuff, like having sex with animals, P.S., is this kind of people. Nasty. These are the kinds of people that God can finally write off on and say, all right, yeah, we can displace these people. You can drive these people out. And it might not be pretty and it might not be good, but it's not unjust. They're nasty. They're bad. This is something that God declared ahead of time that he would do. He called it. This isn't a surprise. This isn't a guerrilla attack. This isn't a whim. This is something that's been a long time coming. And the judgment is already underway. Like the wrecking ball is swinging towards the building. Jericho and Ai are already done. How do you stop that? Gibeon is next. It's too late. Everything on paper says it is too late. When Rahab, way back in Jericho, had the spies from Israel, she said something very telling. She says this, we, that's everyone in Canaan, have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings east of the Jordan, who you completely destroyed, And when we heard of it, our hearts, all these people in the promised land, melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. She's saying that these people understand what's happening and they understand that Yahweh, the God of Israel, is calling the shots in heaven and earth. And they're freaked out. Mysteriously, only Rahab asked for grace. The Gibeonites say the same thing. Our key verses, Joshua 9, 24 and 25. They say, your servants were clearly told how the Lord your God had commanded his servant Moses to give you the whole land and to wipe out all the people that live there. It's too late. It's underway. It had been a long time coming and no one is ignorant or surprised about what is going on. The Israelites are not showing up to these cities and the people are like, who are these people? What are they doing here? They understand because of who we are and what we've done, Yahweh has given them the land. They know the Gibeonites aren't dumb. They understand that on paper, the jig is up. The wrecking ball is about to hit the building. They're next on the list. But they decide to make a wager that there might be one thing that could get them out of this ruin that they deserve. There might be something that they could do, that they could bet on. They would stop the consequences that they deserve for their actions. Did you guys hear that? Something that could stop the consequences that they deserve for what they've done. And what they bet on is not the deception. You might think it is, but come on, you don't think they knew that in three days they're going to show up at their cities? You think they're going to take a different route? And their plan when the Israelites get there It's to open themselves up humbly and say, we are your servants. Do what seems right. You made a treaty with us according to the name and the character and the reputation of your God. Let's see what he would do. They are betting on the grace of God. And it works. These people who came to Yeshua, leader of God's people, and said, please make a treaty with us. We know that God made a covenant with you and we're not in. He said he's going to give you this land and we're not in. We know that you're his people and we're not. Is there any way we can get a treaty? Yeshua. Do the same thing today. Ephesians two eleven to 14 Remember that formerly you who were Gentiles by birth, separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, foreigners to the covenant of promise, without hope and without God. The situation of us today is much like the situation of them back then. But now in Christ, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself, what's his name by the way? Oh, Yeshua is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. It is not too late. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed right now, if you would be so kind. Father God, Lord hope rises up in our hearts. And Lord, for everyone here who has either by arrogance said, oh man, it's too late for me, or in desperation and in hopelessness thought it is too late for grace because I've always been a fill in the blank. I've done too much, fill in the blank. I've been addicted to fill in the blank because for so many years I've fill in the blank. Maybe you're thinking, I deserve everything that's coming my way. I can't ask for grace because God said this would happen and it's happening. I'm only getting what I deserve. I want to say to you today, let that go. That is a lie. It is not too late. Even if judgment is underway, even if you do deserve it, so what? Yeshua is offering peace. If that's you, and you've believed that it's been too late, I want you to raise your hand right now and accept grace. Raise your hand if you need it. If you said, "I believed it was too late, but it's not now, I see one. Two. Possibly three. That's a halfway. Four. Anybody else? Be bold, now is the time. It is not too late for you. All right, heads up. If you didn't do that now, and you know you need to, don't leave this morning before you take care of it. Too late is a lie. It's now, and now's a good time. If it's not too late, second message, it's not too early either. (laughs) Here's something the Gibeonites show us that's surprising, but my favorite part of the whole thing The Gibeonites are not who we think. But before I talk about that, I want to talk about an interesting twist that's happened under the new covenant. The Gibeonites had to fall face down in front of Yeshua and beg for a treaty of peace. Do you realize that because of the cross, because of the incredible disgusting price that God willingly paid for us, the Bible says that he stands at the door and knocks. Yeshua comes to us and says, I would like peace. I don't want you to receive judgment. I don't want you to receive wrath. I've paid the price. Please open up. Will you respond to my call? Will you, human, make a treaty of peace with me, God Almighty, at my expense? And you want to know what takes off a pastor and somebody that loves Jesus? Is that so many times people give this response. Well, I'm, I'm kind of young. I'm only, I'm only 10. I'm only 15. I'm only 25. I'm only 40. My investments are starting to come in. Job's going good. Life's all right. I mean, I've got everything I need right now. You know, maybe when I'm done having fun, maybe then I'll listen to this Jesus thing. Or maybe I'll get in a car accident and I'll break my back and and I'll be desperate or I'll get some sort of horrible, debilitating disease. Maybe my athleticism will go away and I won't have another recourse or I'll get an addiction or my family life will fall apart. Maybe I'll lose the job or my finances will tank. You know, after all that, Isn't that what being a Christian is? Like something really bad happens and then when you hit rock bottom, then you turn to God. Isn't that how this testimony thing works? Maybe then. So Jesus is knocking on our hearts after paying a bloody price at his expense and we say, thanks but no thanks. Can you come back later? This is not what the Gibeonites did. Although they could have. The Gibeonites had a great defense. These people turn out not to be the hopeless, skinny, bootlicking losers that they might seem to be. Back in the day, the city you lived in mattered a lot. There were cities that were so fortified in the Old Testament, I believe both Jerusalem and Samaria were these types of cities, that if people were invading your country, they might look at that thing and like, look how thick those walls are. Look how high those walls are. Man, they're built on a river, on the side of a cliff. Like, I mean... I hear there's kind of a wimpy city, like a couple miles this way. eh, We can come back for this one, right guys? Like, we don't need to conquer this one right now. I mean, we'll we'll be back for sure, but, you know, not right now. You know, Gibeon was one of those cities. If you flip the page in your Bible to Joshua 10, it says in 10.2 that Gibeon was a great city. Like one of the royal cities, it was greater than Ai. Gibeon had a great defense. The city itself could not be taken over easily. They didn't have to run to Joshua, Yeshua, and beg for peace on paper. Number two, not only did they have a great defense, but if you managed to get in the city, do you know what you would find? A great offense. These guys didn't just have a mighty city to defend them. The guys in the city were pretty tough. The rest of Joshua 2 says this. Gibeon was a great city. It was like one of the royal cities. It was greater than Ai, and all its men we're warriors. There's lots of fighting in the Bible. There's lots of fighting men in the Bible, but the Bible is selective about who it gives this compliment to. We know David had a lot of men, right? But his mighty men are named. In a few verses, we're going to talk about Israel's army, but the mighty men of valor are mentioned separately. This is a city full of mighty men. So, when we think about the people that put on the old clothes and got the old wineskins and are like, oh, look how moldy our bread is, oh, our sandals are cracked, we can't think of a wimp. We have to think of these type of people. As incongruous as it might seem, this type of dude doing that kind of ruse, desperately seeking peace from Yeshua. Not these people. Not this person. The men of Gibeon, the people that humbled themselves before God and God's people, were these kind of people, all right? They were mighty. They lived in a mighty city. They were warriors. They knew how to handle themselves. They probably looked good in polo shirts like Carl Weathers. You know, these are tough dudes. And, I mean, it gets better than that. Actually, not only did they live in a great city, not only did they probably have arms like that, Maybe a little better, I'm sure, I'm sure. But they had great allies. They weren't alone. Do you remember how many kings got together to make war against Israel? Let's count the nations. Let's skip down all the kings, blah, 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 blah. Hittites, all the kings of the Hittites, all the kings of the Amorites, all the kings of the Canaanites, all the kings of the Perizzites, the kings of the Hivites, and the kings of the Jebusites. That's a six-nation army. We're one away from a popular song. And the you Je- a Gibeonites ruin it, right? So six different nations are all setting aside their differences to go against this people, Israel, that have a bad habit of remaining homeless. Do <laughs> you realize they've attacked and beaten two cities and burned them down? They don't even have a place to stay. They're like camping out in the fields. Come on. I mean, the odds are good. With all this stuff for you, you're mighty, you've got a great city, you've got tons of allies. Why? On paper would you bet on grace instead of betting on victory? Why wouldn't you just try to win? And the Gibeonites didn't because they were the only nation to understand. Going back to 9, 24 to 25, they were clearly told how who? The Lord your God had commanded his servant Moses to give you the whole land. They knew they weren't fighting against people. They knew that even though they were this kind of guy, these kinds of guys with a good city and all these allies, that is meaningless when you're fighting against the God who calls the shots in heaven and earth. And so these type of people, with everything going good for them, strong and in command, put on a ruse so that they could get peace from God by any means necessary. That makes an absolute mockery of this. And I am fine with that. Because I hate this. Because this makes a mockery of this. Jesus paid an incredible price. Not so we could say rain check, thanks but no thanks, come back later. But so that we could seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will. Someone say, Will. Will will have mercy on them. Let them turn to our God for he will freely pardon. In Hebrews, it says it this way today, is it a today? I think it is. Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Guys, I want to tell you, it is not too early. Let's have every head bowed again and every eye closed. Jesus, we repent. We repent for thinking lightly of your sacrifice and lightly of the fact that your Holy Spirit knocks on our hearts. God, we repent for taking it as as child's play, that the God of the universe wants to have a peace treaty with us, and we say, not right now. God, we're done doing that. If you're done doing that, if you're done trusting in your own security, You know, or your own strength or the fact that you have it all together. If you've been putting this off, let's not put it off anymore. Let's put those hands up right now and let's make a commitment. It is not too early. I see one. I see two, three, four. Anybody else? Five. Get this done. Six, seven. Today. Eight, nine. Heads up. Thank you, guys. Daryl is having a lot of fun this morning. (laughs) If you didn't do that now and you know you need to, Do it today, while it's still called today. It's not too early. And as a final point, I'm going to tell you why it's a good idea to get grace. You're going to need it sooner than you might think. If the Gibeonites had not swallowed their pride, tucked their biceps into some old clothes, and left the weapons at home to go and beg for peace, they would have wished they had three days later. Three days. When that army would have come over the hill at dawn, it would have been too late. They would not have sought the Lord while he could be found. They didn't do it while it was called today. And they would have wished they had grace then. But you know they needed grace anyway? An unforeseen circumstance happened the minute they allied with the people of God. This is in Joshua 10. I'm going to paraphrase a little bit. The king of Jerusalem, here's how Joshua captured Ai and destroys it. Just like he destroyed Jericho, And he hears something even worse. He hears that the people of Gibeon, mighty people with a mighty city, have thrown in with Israel. They've joined Israel. And he flips out. Because the one thing we cannot have are mighty people like Gibeon teaming up with people like Israel. So he sends a message to all the other kings around him. And he says, guys, we've got to do with this. He says, come up Come up to me and help me. Let us strike Gibeon, for it has made peace with Joshua and with the people of Israel. And then tons of kings joined him. Five kings from the Amorites, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Yarmouth, the king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon. And they all joined their forces and went up with their armies and encamped against Gibeon and made war against it. They want to squash him quick and decisively because they cannot have Israel, who's about a day away, joining up with Gi- Gibeon. If those two people come together, it is bad news bears for all the other nations around. And so they figure if we get a big enough team, we ought to be able to deal with them while they're still by themselves. And they're right. So Gibeon does the only thing they can do, and they yell out to Israel. The men of Gibeon sent to Joshua at the camp in Gilgal, again, about a day away, saying, do not relax your hand from your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us and help us For all the kings of the Amorites who dwell in the hill country are gathered against us. Please pause there. I know the rest of the verses are on the screen, but let me just say something. You're Joshua. You're Israel. You didn't really want these people around. Right? I mean, they tricked you. You know? I mean, the people are grumbling against the leaders. Like, why can't we just destroy them and take their cities? And the leaders are like restraining the people. You know? So... It's kind of a win-win, isn't it? I mean, all these people are going to kind of take care of the Gibeonites. Hey, maybe this is the Lord, like, making good on your mistake. You know what I mean? Kind of dealing with these people. And the Gibeonites, they're no joke, dude. Like, we've seen those delts. Like, those guys are huge. Like, they're going to kill a whole bunch of these Amorites, you know, and take care of our light work. And then, I mean, maybe we just sweep right through. I mean, it sounds like a good plan, right? (laughs) Except they swore the oath by the Lord their God the character and the reputation of Yahweh is wrapped up in the agreement. And a very interesting thing happens when you get grace. It's not just a get-out-of-jail-free card. It's not just that you don't get the wrath you deserve. It's that you are in, all in. And God himself is not just not against you. God himself is for you. Joshua all his men and all the mighty men of valor it's a day away they march all night and then they kick butt all day and if you read in the story this is the miraculous story of Joshua saying let the sun stand still so that we can continue fighting God does that not for Israel to fight Israel's enemies but for Israel to fight Gibeon's enemies God is coming to a miraculous rescue of people that quote-unquote shouldn't even be here. Yes, they should. Because they are in. They got grace. Mm -hmm. So I could close with a whole bunch of points. Here's several. (laughs) You're never too far gone for grace. Can we raise our hands? Do you guys know that's true? Amen? Thank you. If you haven't, take care of that. Take care of it today. It's laughably foolish. I should have put the word stupid there. Thank you, (laughs) Daryl. To allow your own strength and security, quote unquote, to keep you from seeking grace. It's a joke. You're not contending with men. And then grace both saves you and helps you. God is not not against you. God is for you. But what I think the Gibeonites would say, if I could put words in their mouth, if they were here now, I think they would say one thing, not several things. And I think they would say it desperately and so i want us to hear it with the desperate seriousness that it is do not hesitate get grace now